Well, folks, Shaw Devsha, Shaw Jerry Adams, and Shaw Arish, Augusta Sulagum, Gowell Shivshigulyar, Gumai, August. But what you have a tussy and podcast shall, but we have a horror, the Fela and Fubble. So well done, Fela and Fubble, and all the staff who plan and prepare Fela. Many thanks to all those volunteers who work around the clock every August to make it all come together. This was Fela's 33rd year, and despite the pandemic and all the restrictions, Fela and Fubble was another wonderful August extravaganza. The fight night was extraordinary, and from earlier that day there was a buzz on the road. The 80s music night, the Wolf Tones concert, all amazing. And well done to the Wolf Tones who give a shout out to the efforts of the Moore Street Preservation Trust to protect and develop the historic 1916 Bottlefield site. This is a hugely important campaign and deserves the support of everyone. The free night for young people, the Fela Dance Night, was absolutely super. This hybrid model of real gigs, limited quite rightly in size, being streamed or zoomed across social media, is a mark of the ingenuity and the creativity and the sheer expertise of the Fela team and of the living, loving, singing, dancing, acting the Egypt, generous, outward-looking, artistic community which Fela represents. Thanks also to Fela for hosting the launch of my latest book, Black Mountain and Other Stories. Harry Connolly, Fela Chair, was very kind, and Timothy O'Grady travelled from Poland to be with us. He too was very kind. And he also did the foreword for Black Mountain. Thanks to them all and to the felons who hosted the event. And the following Saturday, I was in Derry for another Book launch as part of Gashard Fela, so thanks for the invite and to all those who came along to listen to me read and to ask me some questions. Both launches were very enjoyable. So too was Scribes of the Rock and my commendation to Donny Morrison, who single-handedly has kept that event going for almost 20 years. But Seamus Carbine was there and Tag Hickey, and their contributions were much funnier than mine, but... I enjoyed listening to them and I enjoyed again reading from Black Mountain and other stories. That book is available from Anishog and from www.sinfeinbookshop.com and from good bookshops everywhere. You'll recall that recently my column, my podcast as well, was focused on the British Labour Party and the approach of its current leader, Keir Starmer, towards Ireland. Now, the internal decision-making processes of that party and the leadership style of Mr. Starmer is obviously a matter for it and for him. And my concern is for its Irish policy and in particular the Labour leader's stated willingness to stand on the side of the Unionists in any debate on Irish unity. His stance is in direct contradiction of the principles of the Good Friday Agreement which state that it is for the people of the island of Ireland alone to determine our own future. And regrettably the news that Ken Loach, film producer, director, writer and activist, has been expelled from the British Labour Party has reinforced my concerns. Ken Loach has long been a friend of Ireland. 
The 85-year-old is widely respected with an impressive international reputation as a filmmaker. His style of filmmaking is described as socially critical, and he makes no secret of his belief in socialism. His films have tackled issues of poverty and homelessness, Cathy Come Home, of workers' rights, the Spanish Civil War, and the power of the state against the unemployed. The first episode of his powerful 1974 television series, Days of Hope, showed British troops in Ireland during the Tan War, and in one memorable scene, Trina Needonald sings the bold Fenian man to British soldiers who have taken over her family farm. That moved Richard Macaulay to tears. Con Loach's Ken Loach's 1990 film Hidden Agenda tackled the issue of Shoot to Kill and Ireland's Dirty War, Britain's Dirty War in Ireland, and The Wind That Shakes the Barley was about the Irish Civil War. And I, Daniel Blake, was a wonderful film, very moving film, very true to uh, form. And both these won uh, prizes at the Cannes Film Festival and making him one of only nine filmmakers to win the Palm d'Or Prize twice. And now he's been expelled from the Labour Party in Britain. He's reported as saying that his expulsion is because he would not disown those already expelled. And the move follows closely on reports that Kirst Armour is preparing a purge of members supportive of Jeremy Corbyn. Whatever the truth of this, Ken Loach is someone who has stood up for the downtrodden all his life. His expulsion is a significant loss to the British Labour movement. And then now on the international front and back to Afghanistan. It's almost 20 years ago that the USA forces and British forces invaded Afghanistan. And on Monday last, the Taliban returned to Kabul amid scenes of chaos as thousands tried to flee. The British government pulled its army out of Afghanistan in 2014 after losing 457 soldiers and spending some 37 billion there. This week, like the fall of Saigon in another era, they're pulling out their citizens and embassy staff. The future for the people of Afghanistan is less certain. But a look at the Iraqi situation gives a sense of the stupidity of these adventures. Like the decision to go to war in Iraq, the human consequences of the political military strategy of Western states in that region has proved to be catastrophic. Hundreds of thousands have died. Millions have been displaced. And the political and economic instability created by Western wars in Iraq and Afghanistan have been disastrous. Under the grand title of Operation Enduring Freedom, British and US forces invaded Afghanistan in October 2001. Sinn Féin spoke out against that decision. And while we opposed and opposed the policies of the Taliban government, we were convinced that a military invasion would only make the situation worse. The following year, in the course of our negotiations with uh, British Prime Minister Tony Blair, both Martin McGuinness and I repeatedly raised with him the intense speculation then circulating 
about a possible invasion of Iraq by British forces. We reminded Mr Blair that British military adventures overseas never end well, but especially for the people who have been the target of the invasion. Military occupation always leads to confrontation with local communities and the imposition of special powers to maintain control. Martin and I pointed out the decades of conflict in Ireland following British soldiers coming back on our streets in 1969. During that first occasion in Blair's office in Downing Street, we very bluntly told him and Jonathan Powell, his chief of staff, that invading Iraq would be disastrous for Britain, but particularly disastrous for the people of Iraq. We put to him this again on a number of subsequent occasions. To be frank, Martin and I were both convinced, even before a public decision to invade was announced, that Mr Blair was already committed to the invasion. With military forces in both Afghanistan and Iraq, the techniques of occupation, of interrogation and torture, of population control, manipulation of the media, all of which have been used extensively here in our part of Ireland, all came to the fore. The handling of the media was particularly crucial in covering up or distracting from the killing of civilians and the many accusations of torture. The publication by WikiLeaks of 90,000 US military files in July 2010 revealed the depth to which these techniques were used between 2004 and 2009 in Afghanistan. The WikiLeaks documents provided evidence of previously unreported actions and with Afghan civilians were killed or wounded in 144 incidents detailed, almost 200 civilians were killed and hundreds more were wounded. This was almost certainly a serious underestimation of the true scale of civilian casualties. Human Rights Watch, which reported on the war in the north of Ireland, said at that time, these files bring to light what has been a consistent trend by US and NATO forces, the concealment of civilian deaths. The files also revealed the existence of Task Force 373, a covert operations unit whose task is to remove the enemy. All this is further evidence of another dirty war using old strategies and techniques and once again failing. When asked if the publication of the battlefield and intelligent documents by WikiLeaks would make a difference, the then British Foreign Secretary William Hague said, none. Six years later, in June 2016, the Chilcot report into the Iraqi war was published. Chilcot accused Tony Blair of invading Iraq before all peaceful options for disarmament had been exhausted. Military action at that time was not a last resort. What also emerged from Chilcot's two and a half million words is evidence of a British government that had not prepared its military for the invasion. It had no long-term political strategy. It didn't even have the right military equipment essential to an invasion. Afghanistan and Iraq are examples of Western powers thinking they still have the right to do what they like, when they like, and against whoever they like. Their national interests, however, short-term, are all that matters. The end result is chaos and calamity for the people they invade and deaths and mutilations of their own forces and bereavement 
and distress for their families. The stupidity and incompetence of the British political, military and bureaucratic establishment, which fought a war in this part of Ireland for almost 30 years, is underlined by the nonsense claimed by Colonel Richard Kemp in 2010. Kemp worked in the British cabinet between 2001 and 2006, during which time he was a senior strategist and a commander in Afghanistan. In the summer of 2010, he claimed that the British Army won the war in Ireland. Reading in the Guardian newspaper in August 2010, I said, if Kemp could get it so wrong in our country, why should anyone expect him to get it right in Afghanistan? And if he and William Hague are reflective of British thinking today, then the British are destined to make the same mistakes in that part of the world as they made here in this part of the world. Almost exactly 20 years after the invasion of Afghanistan and my prediction in 2010, it would appear that successive British governments opted to make the same mistakes. The thing about the lessons of history is that imperial governments rarely learn them. Instead, they ignore them. So, Shane Aharja will go out this week with Christie, Hiroshima, Nakasaki, Russian Roulette. Burgibu, Slan Liv. They dropped the bomb in 45 to end the world war No one had ever seen such a terrible sight before The world looked on with eyes wide to see where it might lead The politics of power passed around the sea It was a time to remember But never can forget they were pale Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Russian roulette Like the saviors of our modern human race With radiation halos hung about their face With the key to the sure cure, the treatment of our ills A hot shot of cobalt and a pocket full of pills Speaking of us of the enemy that lurked across the sea While they crept in among us like a carrier disease Concrete and the lead Einstein's disciples Working steadily ahead Making heavy metal power plants To fire the city lights All you can hear in the underground Is the humming through the night And the walls of tight security Circle all around Where they spill out their poison And they bury it in the ground Hold up in the harbors, hidden secretly away Warheads and submarines, a way to make their play While the military masterminds improve in their designs The soldiers get doped up and stumble through the lines And their spills into the rivers get carried by the tide They call this security, I call it suicide
statesmen and leaders on their politicians pay. They're quick to heed the hand that feeds, careful what they say. They call out experts to assure us to wave their magic wands. This is the power of the future, and the future marches on. And then they call in all their favors, all their political gains, while the spills fill the rivers and settle in the plains. I know the minds behind them. Full of holes, not to be trusted with their hands at the controls. Their eyesight is twisted by the glory of their careers. The heaped praise of flattery is music to their ears. To listen to them talk about how it hasn't happened yet, like playing Hiroshima and Nagasaki, a Russian roulette. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Russian roulette. Hiroshima, Nagasaki, Russian roulette. 